Thank you, Olivia. That was fantastic. Please keep your Bibles open, friends. Lovely to see you all this morning. Are you well? Yes, excellent. Three of you are well. That's good. I hope the rest of you are just sitting quietly and are also well. Um, it's great to come to God's Word. It's great to come together on Christmas Eve. It's, uh, it's different this year, isn't it, having church back-to-back? Hopefully you can make both if you can't, I understand. Hopefully get to see you tomorrow. I think it's lovely to meet twice in this Christmas season. I'm really enjoying hearing the young ones read the Bible too. It's, um, it's been a real blessing and I... I loved hearing them read the Bible at the carols. That was really cool. And I think um, they did a good job kind of penetrating the, the noise and the crowd. I'm just going to shuffle forward a little bit because my feet are half on the bubbly things and that's annoying. Let me pray. Loving Father, Almighty God, we thank you so much for your goodness and kindness and faithfulness for this time of year when we remember the birth of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, who was <coughs> willing to dwell amongst us willing to be born of a woman as we all were and to dwell amongst us, which is an extraordinary truth. And Lord, please um, help us to, to, to settle now, uh, to put uh, distractions out of our mind and to really just focus on your word and, and be spiritually fed and nourished by this beautiful part of your word, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, it's Christmas tomorrow, not today, so just take a breath. Okay, just relax and uh, keep your Bible in your lap and enjoy this part of God's Word, uh, which is just uh, beautiful because it's Christmas tomorrow. Of course, we're celebrating the birth of our Saviour tomorrow, King Jesus. I wanted to preach a bit of a Christmassy psalm. We're doing some psalms uh, over summer, which is uh, what churches do when they don't really know what else to do. They do psalms um, over summer. So that's what we're doing. And I wanted to preach a bit of a Christmassy psalm, since it's Christmas Eve, but I was looking through the psalms and what psalm is a Christmassy psalm, I wasn't sure. So what do you do when you're not sure what to do? You try to flick past it to the student minister. So I tried to do that. I tried to flick past it to Adam and said, it's your last day, maybe you'd like to preach. And he said, I would like to preach, but we don't have the capacity right now. But he did all this work and then concluded that he didn't quite have the capacity to write a sermon. He did all this work on Psalm 72 and he told me all about it. And I just thought, oh, that's fantastic. That's a, that's a great psalm. It's a great idea. Well done. So all credit to Adam uh, for, most credit to Adam for this sermon. I did some work on it. Um, it's a wonderful psalm, Psalm 72. It's entitled the Psalm of Solomon. Uh, and it's a picture of the perfect king. <coughs> it's, all about this, it's, it's all about this perfect king, perfect king. A king Solomon could never be. He could never be a perfect king because he's a human being. Um, it's possibly uh, penned by David, his father, about his son, which would be beautiful. It's probably Solomon wrote this himself as a kind of a picture of the king he wanted to be and the king he ought to be. And the king, in many ways, uh, he was, at least for a time, Solomon was, was a fantastic king. Um, but to break preaching rule number one, which is don't let the big idea out of the bag right at the start of your sermon, I'm going to say, this is a psalm about Jesus. This is all about him, actually. Surprise, surprise. Uh, our perfect king. Um, so I'm giving away the big idea right at the start because I'll tell you why. On Wednesday this week, uh, Lara went to see Swan Lake at the Opera House. Pretty cool. Ballet, beautiful ballet, very famous ballet. Um, and she knew the story. 
She knew what was going to happen. She knew what was going to unfold. But she loves the story so much that she really enjoyed going and seeing it performed again by these you know, stunning um, ballet dancers uh, in that beautiful place, uh, the Opera House. We know the story. We're all Christians here. We know Jesus came into the world. We know he was born. And this psalm is just this stunning, beautiful tapestry and reminder of how wonderful our King is, of how wonderful our Jesus is. And I think it's great at the end of a busy year to sit back and take a breath and just be reminded from God's Word what an incredible King we have. And just to be refocused on Him and reminded of Him, particularly as we come into Christmas tomorrow, we know He's great. What a great blessing this psalm is to be reminded of Jesus, our beautiful Saviour. At the end of a big year, when we're probably feeling weariness, I really think this psalm fills us with joy and fills us with energy and fills us with vigour as we uh, get ready for the year ahead. It's the joy and energy and vigour of being reminded who it is that loves us, who it, whose arms it is that we're safe in, who it is that we gladly bow down to and serve, the perfect King, our Lord Jesus. So without further ado, Psalm 72 of Solomon. Point one on your outlines, you've got a handout when you came in, is Jesus, the righteous King. As I said, probably written by Solomon, whether consciously or not, this is a portrait of, portrait of not just a good king, but a perfect king. And despite the fact that Solomon was endowed with great wisdom from God, perfection was something that, of course, he could not attain and he could not achieve. And we learn from the very start in this psalm what the foundation of great kingship is. There's a word that's repeated there in verses 1, 2, and 3. What's the word that's repeated in the first three verses? Just, justice? Justice is in the first two. Righteousness is in the first three. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. We didn't spot that. Justice in the first two. Righteousness in the first three. Overlapping ideas. Justice and righteousness. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May you judge your people in righteousness. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. Righteousness, knowing what is right and then doing it. Righteousness isn't about uh, knowing how to win the most votes for your people and just doing that. Righteousness is knowing what's the very best thing to do in the eyes of God and then doing that. What's the right action in God's sight? That's true righteousness. It's the quality of the perfect king in, a, in, a, in, this, in his kingship, this righteousness, this perfect action and wisdom before God lays the foundation for everything else the, that is contained in his kingdom. Righteousness lays the foundation for everything else that happens in the kingdom. The psalm talks about peace and prosperity. It talks about justice and social justice. And all these things grow in the soil of righteousness. The king brings justice to the poor and afflicted, verse 1. He brings prosperity to all of his people, not just some. This is something governments can't achieve. They can't bring prosperity to all of their people. But 
This king brings prosperity to all of his people, but he can only do that once he has enacted justice and righteousness in his realm. In Christ, perfect righteousness is found. Romans chapter 5 says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, the first Adam, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Jesus' perfect obedience in life and also unto death perfectly and justly dealt with our sin and rebellion so that we too may be presented holy, blameless, righteous before God. Jesus, in Christ, we find righteousness. Jesus creates a new community, a new humanity in which righteousness reigns. And the consequences of this new humanity, the consequences of righteousness, is peace. But peace can only be found through his righteousness. Jesus brings peace between us and God. He brings peace between us and one another. He brings peace in our hearts and our minds. And he brings prosperity for his people. Not prosperity at the expense of one another, where some have and some have not, but prosperity for all, prosperity in Christ, the richness of being united to him together with one another. We're told the poor are made rich, the marginalised drawn in, the downtrodden lifted up, the children of the needy saved. And verse 4, we're told, the oppressor is crushed. So great is this king that the prosperity that he brings, sorry. <coughs> so great is this king that the prosperity that he brings is global in its scope. The mountains bring prosperity. The hills, the fruit of his perfect righteousness. It's what we foolishly long for from our governments, that they will bring ultimate peace and prosperity, which of course they can't do because they don't have perfect righteousness. And you can see already from this psalm, this kind of righteousness is beyond even the greatest and most blessed king of all, some would say, the great King Solomon. Even he could not achieve this kind of righteousness and peace and prosperity, let alone Chalmers and Albo. Secondly, the second feature of the perfect king that we're presented with is that he is eternal. And like any good psalm, we're given this fact in picture language. Verse 5, <clears throat> May he endure as long as the sun, so long as the moon through all generations. This is a common blessing for kings. Long live the king. May the king live forever, right? That's what we say, long live the king. Um, here is a blessing that the king may live forever, as long as the sun, as long as the moon which will endure forever. That's the picture. That's the idea. In Jesus, this vain hope that the king will live forever, of course, no king lives forever, but in Jesus, this hope is a rock-solid reality. Jesus is an eternal king. He is our forever king. Verse 6 is my favourite verse, given that I do love a good lawn, and I threw a quick picture of my lawn on the screen. There it is. 
<laughs> Mowed it and watered it yesterday. It's, um, it's, it's okay. It's got some work to do, but it's come up all right. Um, verse 6, may he be like rain falling on a mown field, <clears throat> like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish. The other side of the, the coin from the king of justice and righteousness, who, who hands down punishment where required on, on the oppressors, is a king who's created this rich environment for blessing. He blesses his people abundantly. It's this beautiful image. As the rain nourishes and restores the land, so the perfect king nourishes and restores and blesses his people. Our perfect king Jesus nourishes us and restores us and he blesses us. And the result of a righteous king, of course, is righteous people. There's strong echoes in verse 7 of King David's last words that are recorded in 2 Samuel. This King David's last words, he said this, When one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he's like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. We're like the grass that grows strong and healthy because of the nourishment of the Lord that comes from his righteousness because he is good and right and true and just, his righteousness nourishes us. And verse 7, prosperity abounds in the realm of the righteous king until the moon is no more, it says. In other words, forever in psalm language, that means forever. But I couldn't help but think of Revelation twenty-one twenty-three when it said the moon is no more which talks about in heaven, there'll be no sun, there'll be no moon. Light will come from God. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamb is its lamp. Jesus is eternal, and his blessings are forever. Point three, he's boundless. The perfect king has no boundaries. There's no edge to his realm. In verses 8 to 10, we definitely get a picture of Solomon's kingship. People near and far came to see Solomon and to praise him and to give him gifts and to see his wisdom up close. The most famous visitor is in 1 Kings chapter 10. The Queen of Sheba came and she brought spices and she brought gold and she brought precious stones, and she wanted to test Solomon's wisdom, so she asked him all these questions, and she discovered that he was twice as wise as what she had heard he was. Such was his impressiveness. She was not disappointed. Her expectations were far exceeded. But again, our psalm demands the impossible of a mere human being like Solomon. Verse 11 Psalm 72 says, May all kings bow down to him, all nations serve him. Yikes. This isn't just respect and gifts, as Queen of Sheba brought. This is homage. 
This is total servitude. This is complete submission to this king. Something that thoroughly impressed Queen of Sheba was not willing to give. She was not willing to completely submit herself to Solomon. But our psalm demands complete submission of kings to this great king. It points to Jesus again, doesn't it? Look at John chapter 12. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we'd like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, as Jesus did, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. King Jesus requires wholehearted submission and servitude to his rule. And the one who's willing to honour the perfect king in this way will be honoured by God in heaven. The one who created the universe by speaking. The one who sustains all things, we're told, honours you when you submit your life to Christ. What an extraordinary truth. We are so very small. And the God of the universe honours us in Christ. I mean, that we even have an opportunity to serve the king is extraordinary. You think about medieval times, I love medieval times, knights and all that kind of stuff, and the armour and the kings and the castles, all that kind of stuff. The greatest honour of, of the first knight was to serve the king, to die for the king. That was the greatest honour. Whatever the king wanted was what the knights did for their great king. We as Christians have been given the blessing and privilege of serving the perfect forever king. What a privilege. What a joy. What an honour to serve the perfect king, perfectly righteous, eternal, all-powerful, boundless in his reign. We get to be his subjects. How good. It's this king we serve. And the result is not just life and safety protection in his realm, although we have that. But the result is abundant blessing, peace, prosperity and honour from his father. Not necessarily worldly prosperity in this life, but prosperity forevermore in Jesus' forever kingdom. And honour from his father in, in heaven. Honour from Jesus' father in heaven to us who serve Christ. Incredible. But wait, there's more. Jesus described as the compassionate king. This perfect king is also compassionate. I want to read verses 12 to 14. Follow along. 
For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He'll take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He'll rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. The psalm paints a picture of a king who's not too high and mighty to overlook those who are needy in his realm as he's tucked away in his castle on a hill. He sees them. He knows those who are in need. But look again closely. The words seem beyond a mortal king's abilities. He saves the needy from death. Precious is their blood in his sight. Who is the needy in our world? It is those, is it those who are sick? Is it those who live in poverty? Is it those who have no home? Well, yes, but more than that, it's those who do not have Jesus, those who face eternal judgment. The great need that we all have is salvation from sin and death and the devil, which we're going to talk a little bit more about tomorrow. Sin, death and the devil on Christmas Day. Get excited. As his blood was spilled on the cross, our hearts were cleansed and the burden of sin lifted from our shoulders once and for all because of our compassionate king who looked upon our plight and his heart was filled with compassion. When you see a child hurt themselves, particularly if you're your own child, your, your heart fills with compassion and Jesus looked upon us and he saw our need and he had compassion and I can't help but think of Matthew eleven twenty eight when Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who's very gentle and lowly? Well, there's a lot of work to do in here. Read gentle and lowly. You won't regret it. It's a blessing to your soul. It's a good read. It's an easy read. Perhaps you've got some time over Christmas, summer holidays. Perhaps you haven't. But perhaps you do. Get your hands on gentle and lowly. It's such a blessing as it talks about our Christ who has compassion on us. And finally, this stunning psalm blesses us once more with the perfect king who gives endless blessings to his people. Verse 15, long may he live, may gold from Sheba be given him, may people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him and they'll call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvellous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And this concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. What a stunning prayer for the king. What joyous words to wrap up a year with. It's a little snippet of heaven, isn't it? Verse 15, people ever praying for him and blessing him all day long. 
What a joy to live in this peaceful, abundant, prosperous place, praising Jesus all day long. And what a joy it is to pray for Jesus, knowing that your prayers are answered, your prayers are fulfilled in him. In our church, we pray for our church leaders, and rightly so, and we pray for our governments, and rightly so, but we know we're praying for people who are imperfect, who really need prayers, and and we hope our prayers come to fruition, but they don't, because we're dealing with sinful people. But in Christ, our prayers are always yes. They're always fulfilled. May the earth be filled with his glory. It is. May all his people be richly blessed. They are. What a blessing and a joy it is to pray and praise Jesus. And do you see the echoes of God's promises to Abraham? A great name, many people, rich blessing, prosperous land. As we know, all of God's promises to Abraham are fulfilled in our Christ. Often sermons, God's word calls us to act, to do something as a result, to change perhaps in some way. But this psalm simply and profoundly calls upon us to remember and rejoice and in a sense relax in the knowing that our king is Jesus. We are people of the risen perfect king. What a joy that is. What a blessing to know that. What a moment to know he is our king. We are safe in his rule and loving arms. Our king is righteous. Our king is eternal. Our king is boundless. Our king is compassionate. And the blessings of our king are endless. I'm so thankful to Adam for handing us this psalm on Christmas Eve. What an awesome reminder of the king we will celebrate the birth of tomorrow on Christmas Day. I think this is such a fantastic background to come into Christmas Day with, being reminded of how fantastic, how wonderful, how beautiful our Lord Jesus is as we celebrate his incarnation tomorrow. Please join me in prayer of heartfelt thanks to God for Jesus. Loving Father and Almighty God, we thank you so much for our righteous King, Jesus. We thank you that he is perfect in his justice, he is perfect in his righteousness. We thank you that he is eternal. We don't have to worry that one day his kingship will end and who are we going to have next as our king? We have Jesus forever as our king. We thank you that he's not limited, but his rule is boundless. We need not fear enemies who are going to cross into our borders in our lands and attack us because our king, he's boundless. His rule is endless. And we thank you that he comes to us in our greatest need. He's not high and mighty on a hill. He came into our midst to show us compassion and love and meet our greatest need, which is forgiveness of sin. And we thank you that this is not temporary or limited, but his blessings are great and they are endless. 
So, Father, we thank you for Christ, our perfect King. It's in his name we pray. Amen.